Welcome to The Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane. Gardening in the mountains is different. Listen to Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts guaranteed to make your gardens more beautiful than ever this year. Now for better advice that works locally, welcome your host, Ken Lane. Welcome to this week's edition of The Mountain Gardener, your host, Ken Lane, here every week talking about the landscapes of northern Arizona. And oh, this is why we live in northern Arizona. I mean, the Midwest is starting to get chilly. The Rocky Mountains, those areas, they've they've had some snow. But down here, we've got four seasons. The colors are all around, but it's just so mild. I've pulled the shorts back out again, short sleeve shirts. I mean, yes, it's going to get cold again. In fact, it looks like another system's coming through now. But then it will warm back up again. This Indian summers, it's this false, it it gets cold and then it warms back up. So it's never truly bitter cold like like I've got friends that have garden centers in Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. I mean, there, the ground freezes and it never thaws. I mean, it freezes and freezes. It goes down eight-foot frost lines. I mean, they leave. They come to Arizona or Florida. I got these friends come to Arizona. And so they're just going, I'm blowing this. We're getting out of here. It's too cold. And so here it's just stunning, just beautiful. I'm noticing right now that a lot of our customer base, so we get a migration going on right now. And this Prescott is kind of a second home place. What I find is the Phoenix folks, the Scottsdale, the Tucson's, Palm Springs, the desert folks, they have a summer home in Prescott. They're starting to leave now going, ah, it's too cold. It's below you know, 50 degrees. I'm leaving. But all the Alaska folks in the Midwest, the Minnesotas, they're, they're actually coming. This is their winter home. So we get to see a whole new set of customers as they come in and take 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 their second home here again. It's kind of fun, actually. That's what I love about retail. You get to meet people. They're so interesting, hear their stories, where they're from, what they've done. It is fascinating. Uh, it's just it's just fun. If you don't like people, retail, it probably ain't for you. But if you do, oh, this is a great place. You'd never get bored. Always interesting. This week in my own gardens, though, we've got a lot going on. We did, did some container gardening. So we're, we're finishing up. So that last storm, what was that, two weeks ago, it killed off all the summer things. So if if you like summer, it didn't like going down to 24 degrees in our backyard. We actually got a little bit of get a little bit of rain. What was that on on Tuesday night, Monday night? One of those two. Um, earlier this week, a little bit of rain, not much. It actually, I looked at the rain gauge. It read zero inches. So it's, it felt like it was raining a long time, but it got everything wet. That's good. But it didn't hydrate anything. Um, it's it's actually kind of sad. We were, Lisa and I were hiking out in the forest, and um, we're checking some pine nuts. We like pinion pine nuts, so it's pretty easy. This is the time you harvest those. You look at the the pine cone. It opens up. You look down in there, and there's a nut about the size of a pistachio, maybe a little bit smaller than that. But it's got a shell on it. Well, we're going, oh, let's try some of these. This looks good. So I bite into it, get the shell off, and. The nuts are hollow. There's no nuts in the pine nuts. At least on the the hillside we were hiking around, up up around Granite Basin Lake, there were no pine nuts, which means the forest is crazy dry. 
So at some point in the spring, the pinion said, oh, we're going we're gonna to put a lot of nuts out there. It's, we're healthy. Let's do this. And then the dry and the heat said, oh, my gosh, we're not going to make it. There's not enough moisture. I'm going to take from the moisture and nutrients from the nut. And I'm going to use it to keep alive the core of my plant it, itself. And so that's not a good sign. That means the next step is I've got no more reserves without rain and moisture, without more reserves there. It doesn't have any extra fat on it. And so now it becomes dry where it becomes more of a, it's an opportunity for bark beetles and ips beetles and flathead borers and scales to start to attack, to start to burrow into and, and make a home in these trees. Entire tracts of forest can be damaged, can be killed in your backyard, in, just out in the fort, wherever. So really, if you've got any of these native uh, trees out in your yard, really take care of those. It's important. You could miss, if you lose them, there's no recovery. And a, and a pine tree and evergreens or conifers, conifers are the evergreen, leafy, not leafy, the needled evergreens. That's called a conifer. Conifers do not let you know they're stressed. They're just green, 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 green. They're dying. As they're dying, they're green or blue or whatever their color is. And then all of a sudden, I mean, we're talking like in a day, it turns brown like that. I mean, instantaneous. It was dying three months, four months, six months before. But if you don't have a trained eye and see that just a bit off color, it looks a little dusty, a little, just the color starts to fade. It looks a little pale. You know, when you look at a person that's sick, you go, oh, they, they look like they're, they're struggling, they're stressed out. If you're, a, if you're a horticulturalist, a plant person, a garden nerd, you can look at plants the same way. You go, oh, yeah, that one looks a little off. But without the trained eye, you don't see this. And all of a sudden, it just turns and they're dead. Once they turn brown, there is no recovery. Just a chainsaw is needed. I mean, that's it. It's over. So you really want to catch these things earlier. Be proactive on, your, on these important conifers that are out in the yard, especially the natives, the ornamental trees, that is a Colorado spruce that you planted. That's considered an ornamental tree. Um, there you typically put it on a drip system. You're caring for it naturally, but a native you don't. You put a new uh, hackberry or locust or aspen, you naturally put it on your, your drip system. So you don't really you don't have to think about it as much. But a native, if you have a, a, a plant that's already there and you built your house around it, those plants are now, I think, stressed out from what I'm seeing. Really pamper and care those things. And what I'm doing with my own gardens, I'm praying for more rain, but I have no control over that. What I do have control over is I can put some nutrients down on the ground. I can, I, fertilizer. So I'm putting the all-purpose plant food. There's a 744 food that I put down, makes it more acidic, and the plants love to pick it up. It's a slow release. It really makes those evergreens where they're more robust. Now they can fight off the bugs that might come at them. It makes them, it counteracts, it makes their roots thicker, plumper, fatter. So they've got more reserves to play with. Then I'm also watering my trees. Not very much. Once a month, I'm taking a hose. I'm not putting them on the drip system. I'm taking my hose and putting one of those spitter emitter things on the end and just letting it sprinkle for a few hours. Just letting it really hydrate. And then I don't think about them again. 
the ones that have are prone to bark beetle. That is, those are your, your ponderosas and your pinion pines. Those two seem to be a favorite food of scale and bark beetle. Those I'm actually putting plant, plant protector. There's a liquid systemic bug killer, bug control. It's like an antibiotic for trees. You can easily, anyone can do it. You mix this liquid up in a watering can, pour it right at the base of the tree at the right ratio. But if you do that, the plant will absorb it and take it up, up the cambium labor, up underneath the bark where all the bark beetles actually live, and it will keep them away. It'll either kill off the ones there or what you really want, it keeps them from penetrating, burrowing through the bark and then starting to eat the, the wood underneath because it's already tainted. You've treated that already. So this is really, really important. I, mean, I was stunned that there were no, I mean, we tried several half dozen nuts on the pinyon pines, not one pinyon pine nut on this trail up around Granite Basin Lake. And, and Granite Mountain has more water or at least the front side has more water per average normally in the region. They that the, the clouds hit that mountain, it dumps its load. So those pine trees generally are more robust. They're healthier. Not this year. So just some things to really watch. We've got a lot in store. I want to cover mistletoe. I want to cover lawns. Uh, I want to cover uh, winter vegetables and herbs. There's a lot to get into this week's show. Uh, right now, I'm telling you, you're going to have a storm front coming through that'll kill off all the last remaining summer hardy things, your perennials. They'll probably start to hibernate underground. You'll see more brown. Some of the leaves are really starting to turn. They're really fabulous. And they'll stay on there until the next storm hits, and then they'll all blow off. And so it's really important to start strategic strategically planting certain things that give you that evergreen colorful pop of color right through winter you can have you can have gardens 12 months out of the year here but you got to know how i'm going to give you that advice after this important message look for more tips tricks and garden shortcuts through ken's website podcast the show read his weekly garden column or follow him on facebook and instagram at watersgardencenter.com that's waters with two t's gardencenter.com Water's companion plants for November are English Ivy, Camellia, Vanderwolf Pine, and Flowering Pear. Flowering Pear starts spring with dazzling white flowers, shady green leaves in the summer, and brilliant reds in autumn. Even the winter bark is attractive. This exquisite tree is ideal for lawns, lining driveways, or specimens in small spaces. Shop the most trees in town by store or online at watersgardencenter.com. You've been listening to Ken Lane, the Mountain Gardener. Green thumbs learned while working in the Family Garden Center. Now welcome back to the Mountain Gardener. And we are back in the studio. We have my very favorite guest we have every week, uh, Lisa. Not a guest. My very favorite wife, gal, <laughs> girlfriend of, of 32 years, my hottie. The one I love to uh, just, anyway, I won't go any farther. <laughs> Please. Where, where do I go? I'm, I'm in a spiral. <laughs> <laughs> Very sharp one, yes. So Lisa Watersling comes with your garden questions. Just what are people asking? What are neighbors? What's going on in your neighborhood? And so she comes in and just, we, we share that over the airwaves. So thanks, Lisa. You're welcome. What kind of questions we got this week? All sorts, all over the board, as usual. 
So Susan has a question. She had to pull out some elms that were under electrical. EPS said they got to go. So she pulled them. She wants recommendations on shorter trees that she can put there because now she's all exposed. Yeah. And she wants to know what you would recommend. Sure. So so elms are diseased. I mean, Siberian elm, yeah. which are the wild elms. They're very trashy. They come up everywhere. They're short-lived. If there's 10 diseases in a neighborhood, they can get, you know, they'll get 15 of them. It's like crazy. <laughs> so they're not good trees for here. There are some good elms. So American elm, which is what's around the courthouse in Prescott. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got frontier elms. There's all these new hybrids coming out that are incredible trees. In fact, some of the newer ones are coming out. They're red right now. So they're starting to turn that fall colored red. But they all get big. Mm-hmm. And so they don't deserve to be underneath power lines because no. they just they'll create havoc with as they grow up into the into the lines. But there's a whole series of short trees that you could easily, easily plant and that will never get up into those wires. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking trees that are under 20, 25 feet tall. And so what are those? So you start out with the shortest ones, probably chaste tree. It's a spiky tree up to about 10, 15 feet tall, has blue flowers on it. Gold is its fall color. Uh, the, the other native that's a companion plant to that would be desert willow. Mm-hmm. Grows wild. Gets up maybe, again, 15 feet tall. So it's great for underneath that, you know, something tall but not too tall. And then redbud. There's a, whole, there's a native variety of redbud. And then all of the redbuds. Redbuds really like northern Arizona. Eastern redbud, Oklahoma redbud, western redbud, Mexican redbud. And it goes on and on and on. So uh, those, are, those, those trees have like a heart-shaped leaf. They get up to about 12, 15 feet tall again. I think you could put crab apples in there. Um, uh, what's, what's the native one with the white flowers? Serviceberry. Um, or, or, <laughs> <laughs> there's several. Which one has a green leaf? <laughs> <laughs> no, choke cherries, mm-hmm. uh, purple leaf plums. Yeah. This is one when you get ready. Come, okay, come down to the garden center. We have too many choices. Yeah. So, but you, it can be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other tip I would tell you is if they're cutting that down, they're probably not going to dig the root out, mm. and so it'll try to sucker. It's try to come back from where that cut is. Don't let it. And then don't try to plant directly in the same hole. Be off center. So all those roots, as they die back and rot, and they they taint the soil. So you really want to be out of that massive root structure of the old tree. You want some fresh new soil for the new tree that you're planting. So it will take and grow faster and just establish better for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. She should come down and see what's available. She should come on down, and you're fine to plant now. It's it's a good yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Plant. I know they're starting to lose their leaves, but boy, they're can't. You're in a sweet spot that's like the perfect time to plant trees. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right. Well, Karen has a question. She wants to know when should she take her hummingbird feeder down, and if okay. she takes it down, will the hummingbirds be okay? So, good question, actually. And the timing's right. So, that last storm that we had, we saw a definite drop in the number of hummingbirds in our backyard, our personal backyards. Now, we don't put feeders out, but we have a lot of plants for them to feed off of. Uh, Silk tassel trees, all kinds of flowers. Uh, But they did take off. We haven't seen very many. And so I think they went south. Remember a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever that last storm was, um, they just went, it's too cold. I'm going to the deserts. And so they migrated. 
there's two schools of thought. You can take it down now so the last so, so they aren't they're not trained to stay here and maybe freeze. So get them to go south. The other school of thought is the old birds and the very young birds. The young birds are too stupid to fly south. They just don't <laughs> I don't get it. I'm just staying right here next to the feeder. And the older birds are just too old to fly yeah. south. And so they stick around longer. So the other school to that is keep them up so you can help those older or younger birds kind of make it through as they migrate. Maybe they're migrating from northern, you know, south Utah. So they they need a place to stop while they're heading down mm-hmm. further south. So I think we've got a storm coming this next week. Probably that's going to be the end of it. They're, they're going to be going to where it's warm. Birds, uh, hummingbirds don't like cold weather. They want to be more temperate climate and where their food source is. Sure. It's not going to bloom and flowers right. aren't blooming in a snowstorm. And there's so, not a lot of insects. Yeah. Because they're so, good insect eaters. So, so probably the, to answer your question, yeah, about now or so. <laughs> Does that help? We skirted around the whole answer. <laughs> I'm like, did he give an answer? I don't know. We'll let the people figure that one out. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for dead hummingbirds. That's like, you go to hell for that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. All right. So Alan out in Chino Valley would like to know, when is the best time to put out wildflower seed? Oh, well, that's actually, that's a good question. So wildflowers is just the opposite of hummingbirds. So you want to put wildflowers out when it gets cold. So most wildflowers, I mean, true wildflowers like poppies and gallardias, gazanias, these things have very heavy, thick hulls on them. And so the outer shell, if you put it out when it's spring and it's just warm, they won't germinate. It needs that freeze and thaw cycle to crack open that hull to, to allow the seed inside to emerge. So really, we start putting those out about Thanksgiving or so. So definitely by the new year, you need to start having your wildflowers out. I would say have them out at the very latest, Valentine's, mid-February, and then it's starting to get too late. You want them to have some cold and some freeze and thaw cycle, and that's the secret. The other thing to that is when you're putting seed out then, Birds can sometimes start to get desperate. I'm not talking hummingbirds now, just regular mm-hmm. w- birds that winter over with us. Well, many of them like to eat seed. Hide that wildflower seed. So don't put a layer of mulch or something, scarify the soil, have it go into the dirt. Uh, you really want to hide those seed from the birds or you just put out the world's most expensive bird seed out there. So we've got a handout here. We mm-hmm. actually make our own special mixes for wildflowers. Uh, but I would say the next cold front is your cue to start start doing those wildflower beds for spring 2021. Okay. And just a tip, too, uh, for people who are really into monarchs and they want to uh, bring those pollinators in, we have a, a great seed, perennial uh, milkweed seeds that... One of our people we've known forever, she actually goes out and collects it for us. So it's, I think, three or four different varieties of true native perennials. And and now, pretty soon when you're putting out your wildflowers, it would be a great time to be putting those out as well. Yeah, monarchs, I mean, monarchs, swallowtails, uh, painted ladies, there's a whole series of of butterflies that, that feed, that use either either the foliage as a source for their caterpillars or the flowers as a source of nectar. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good time to put those uh, wildflowers out. We've got a deer and rabbit resistive mix. Mm-hmm. 
We have a straight poppy mix, just California poppies, but not just orange. It's got a mixture of different colored right. poppies in this mix. We've got a wildflower uh, mix. So Arizona mix. Arizona yeah. mix. It's more of a what you see on the side of the road. There's some tall wheat grasses, some shorter grasses. It's just revegetation. The, the scars of construction reveges those. And then we have a wildflower or meadow mix. Mm-hmm. It's all the short grasses. And then we've put some native Arizona uh, wildflowers in that. So if you want something that's not really mowed, mm-hmm. but it's low care, whole, grassy looking, but has some flowers in it, like you'd be walking through an alpine meadow, we've got that mix. And so, and I'm sure we've got. Those are just top of mind. We've got more. We're kind of famous we do. for. We have a lot of little individual yeah. packages too. Great, great questions this week, folks. Really good. Okay, we've got Ken and Lisa Lane, the Mountain Gardeners, and we'll be right back with more after these important messages. You're listening to Ken Lane, aka the Mountain Gardener. Ken can be found throughout the week in Prescott at Waters Garden Center. Listen each week as he answers timely garden questions unique to mountain gardens. Waters Garden Companion Plants for November are Flowering Pear, English Ivy, Camellias, and Vanderwolf Pine. Vanderwolf is related to Arizona pines with fluffy foliage. It's remarkably resilient in dry Arizona soils. Makes a graceful specimen in yards or expansive estate landscapes. This distinctive pine, long, twisted, silver-blue needles covering the dense branches. Carefree and easy to grow. Shop by store or online at watersgardencenter.com. We believe in roses that smell like a rose at Waters Garden Center. You've been listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert Ken Lane. Join the conversation every week as he answers timely garden questions. Email Ken a question directly from your phone to his desktop through the web at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Now welcome back your host, Ken Lane. It's surprising, but there's a couple things couple different things eating trees and your shrubs the woody material in your yard i've had two customers this week actually three that came in with with these issues one mistletoe mistletoe is bad it's worse it's it's as bad as i've seen it and it's spreading so mistletoe is a parasite it's a plant that comes in and it burrows into the actual structure of an oak tree or hackberry or it can be in pine trees, junipers. It's certain things. It's got a favorite flavor, but the roots go down, not into the soil, but down underneath the bark. And now it becomes one with the plant, its host. And so if you were to spray big green globs, usually there's two types of mistletoe here. One is leafy, one's not leafy. Looks more like a Spanish broom or or a succulent or, or an air plant or something. But they both feed off its host the same way. If left unchecked, mistletoe will actually kill its host. If it, it can take many, many years, but eventually the, the, the parasite wins. Just like if you get a parasite in your gut or in your heart or in your anywhere. It's eventually, you can go for a while, but eventually you collapse. Trees are the same way. This is really important. Uh, you need to be aware or you can lose that big majestic emery oak that's evergreen oak that's just so nice. Um, you, it can affect your junipers and just really take them out, really disform them. What to do? If you've got these big globs, do not spray them with a weed killer 
or you will kill the host and the mistletoe. They are symbiotic. They are the same. They are one. What happens is when mistletoe grows into that, let's say it's a branch, about 18 inches on either side of that glob, of that mistletoe ball, is the roots. So if you can cut that mistletoe out, you go back about 18 inches, cut it off, it won't come back. You just now got rid of the host. Now get that off your property or burn it or do something. Don't, don't keep it around. Uh, but that's the easiest way to get rid of it. Sometimes mistletoe gets right into the heart, the trunk, the main crotch, the, brand, the main structure of the plant. So you can't really cut it out. What do you do then? Well, now they make a product called Florel. Florel is not a weed killer. What it is, it's a, it's a growth hormone. It's, it, it's a growth regulator. So what it does, you spray the foliage on much like you do a weed killer, but it doesn't go down into the structure of the tree that you're trying to protect and kill off the roots. It doesn't affect the roots. It just burns off the top growth. And it, it affects the mistletoe for about a year. If you've got this kind of program, you're probably going to spray that tree annually with Florel Growth Regulator. And we've got it at the Garden Center. We're really specialized now. It's the only product out there that's rated for, that's labeled for mistletoe. But you can't kill it or it'll kill its host as well. So you either cut it out or you spray it with Florel. And that I would say those kinds of trees that have... Uh, a lot of mistletoe in them, I would say spray, not, not spray with a floral, but also fertilize underneath with the all-purpose plant fruit, that 744 all-purpose. It's a granular. You spread it out underneath the drip line, and this plant will now actively grow. And many times you can get this plant to grow past or grow through or keep growing. It'll actually grow and try to suffocate the mistletoe. So you can get a tree to last decades uh, by, by doing that, fertilizing cutting it out, or spraying with Florel. That's how you deal with, with, uh, with mistletoe. It's eating trees right now. The other one, which is super unusual, I've had two customers this week, porcupine. Porcupine is out eating trees. I had one customer, they, the porcupine is stripping off the bark of their fruit trees at the base. So they come in at night. They're nocturnal. You never really see them. And they plop down and they just eat the, the cambium, the, the wood, sweet wood underneath the bark. They love that taste. They come in and eat that. Or another one, customer saw this porcupine, witnessed it. I witnessed right up through a smoke tree and started eating the tree from the top. When he got done, after about a week's worth of eating, there was no smoke bush or smoke tree left. Ate it right down to the ground. So these these kind of plants, they, they like trees and shrubs, sweet tasting ones. They like apples. They like uh, uh, populous, uh, uh, aspens. They like elms. So there's certain flavors they like. If you see that and you see damage, you, you probably won't see the porcupine. They're kind of like the size of a badger. They're pretty big, like a small dog or a really big cat. Uh, they kind of lumber around. And their bristles aren't always up. They're usually down, kind of walking around. So they're kind of difficult to ID right off the bat, a little black face. Um, if you see that where they're seeing damage, put some wire, put some, an obstruction around that that keeps them off. Uh, so you need to discourage them from keep eating that same spot. They seem to be singularly focused on eating that bush or eating that tree until the bark finally gets girdled. They finally eat all the bark off around this, this entire tree. It's a 20-year-old apple tree. And in a week's time, 
comes back every night, eats six inches of cambium, six inches of bark every week. And by the time you get done, the tree just dies next spring. It's terrible. So if you see that, kind of put it on your radar and come talk to me if you get in trouble and I'll help guide you through it. Got more after this. Look for more tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts through Ken's website. Podcast the show, read his weekly garden column, or follow him on Facebook and Instagram at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Waters Garden companion plants for November are Vanderwolf Pine, Flowering Pear, English Ivy, and Camellias. Ice Angel Camellias produce amazing three-inch rosy blossoms with petals that radiate out from the center of Camellias deserve front yard status or admired on a patio or deck. Well adapted to acidic soils beneath oaks, native junipers, and maples. Loves shade gardens, containers, and raised beds. Shop in-store or online at watersgardencenter.com. Welcome to the Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane. Gardening in the mountains is different. Listen to Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts guaranteed to make your gardens more beautiful than ever this year. Now for better advice that works locally, welcome your host, Ken Lane. And we are back with Lisa Waters Lane. She comes each week. This segment is all for her. And so she just comes and shares a different perspective, a different idea, different design, artistic flair for gardening. And I think it's sometimes to have uh, your better half give you better advice on a radio show. And so Lisa comes in, my uh, my garden gal extraordinaire, uh, just to help, help me out sometimes. Sure. Otherwise, yeah. it'd just be you all the time. And I love hearing myself talk. <laughs> I like hearing myself on the radio. I like hearing myself on the internet. I like hearing myself on TV. I like hearing my... In your head. <laughs> my mother gave me a Mr. Microphone when I was a kid, and I liked a microphone ever since. Mm-hmm. That is nice. true. And lots of stage acting kind of stuff. Just, I yes. like people. And the bigger the crowd, the more power. You <laughs> actors, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Other folks are terrified. They just wet themselves going... I'd rather die than yeah. be up on stage See, that's and talk me. to you. I'm like the opposite. I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh. But that's what makes us get along so well. That's right. We're opposites, but the same. We have the same values. Yes. We have the same core beliefs. We have the same, right. but we are totally different personality-wise. That is very, so very true. I think true. the secret is to respect that in each other. Mm-hmm. And you tend to get along for decades. <laughs> now, That's where's true. the balance? So I respect you more than you respect me? Oh, hmm. Lord. Let's go down that path. Let's not. Because <laughs> it's a dark, let's winding keep it, Let's keep it gardening <laughs> and drink more wine. <laughs> well, back to gardening before we go too far down that road. So we've had a few bits of cold weather. So yeah. we're definitely seeing... Um, trees and perennials and some of those things kind of curl up and go okay i'm going to bed oh, yeah. it's winter time i'm going to bed and sometimes this time of year it's hard to find color out in your yard and you're just like oh, everything's brown nothing really pretty yeah. so i thought i would talk about those plants that give you pretty berries in the winter time oh go that's perfect so yeah. berry plants they'd also have a flower earlier because you got right. a flower before you put a berry yes. so you almost get four seasons you get the flowers of spring the summer color the fall berries in the winter mm-hmm. are they all evergreen or there's some that don't um, 
most of the ones I was thinking of are evergreen. Okay. But still, it's really pretty to see that berry yeah. out there, especially when everything else is drab. So, guess what number one on my list is? Is it your favorite? Mm. What's your favorite? I don't want your number one on your list. What's your favorite plant with a berry? I know what mine is. <laughs> mine is pyracantha. I mean, I just oh, love really? those orange and red berries. I know it's kind of old-fashioned, kind of old-school, yeah. kind of passe. Boy, they're pretty and easy to grow. They're just yeah. birds like them. I mean, just they oh, got that's everything. True. That's very, very true. So they have Yukon Bell, which is the more old-fashioned variety, has that orange berry on it, which a lot of the older pyracantha stands that you see around here are probably that Yukon yeah. Bell uh, with the big orange berries. The newer one, Victory, has more of a red berry to it. So I could have one of each. Well, sure you could. They both get the same size too, right? They do. So they're bigger, more like yeah. a screening, like way above head high, mm-hmm. like six, seven, eight foot tall. If you let and them just go, yeah. If, yeah, you, they, you can trim them and that kind of stuff, right. train them up walls, do mm-hmm. whatever you want. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then we also have one called Red Elf, which is more of a dwarf one. I think it's about two foot, two by two, two by three, somewhere in there. Also makes the red berry on it, but perfect for a smaller hedge. Yeah. Uh, and still know, evergreen, like oh, yeah. the other ones. Oh, mm-hmm. perfect. That, I, would, I might try one of those in a container. That'd be pretty. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. a good idea. So those are probably the most common ones around here that we think of. Uh, but there's also uh, a catonia. Well, all the catoniasters pretty much produce a red berry. Uh, the one that's probably my favorite is the parnii or the red clusterberry. Um, I just love the way that one grows. It just has a real open, um, almost fountain-type yeah. shape to a vase shape to it as it comes out. Um, makes that has that real pretty white kind of cluster flower in the in the spring, and then it does the red berries in the winter. But I just think that if you're looking for a screen, that makes an excellent one as well. Way better than red tip photinia. As far as deer, it's deer resistive. Right. So cotoneaster or cotton easter mm-hmm. is kind of how people look at spelled cotton yeah. easter, but it's Latin is cotoneaster. Uh, anyway, um, mm-hmm. deer don't eat it. Rabbits don't bother yeah. it. It's evergreen. It's got a real thick, deep, dark mm-hmm. green, bluish green color to it, like a deep, dark forest pool that's the color of the leaf <laughs> so it's really really nice you're such a poet it grows fast it does the other one is the uh coral beauty which is a little bit more of a ground cover about two two and a half feet yeah. tall spreads five six feet great for hillsides and banks anything you're trying to keep upright yeah uh, and there's also two or three other varieties and i think they all produce a berry they do i think it's a cranberry cotoneaster mm-hmm. Eicholtz, Cotoneaster. Mm-hmm. What's another one? There's one that's... Strebes. Strebes. Strebes oh, we sell them all here. So yeah. they're all good. Cotoneaster and Arizona, Northern Arizona, mm-hmm. they go together. There's uh, also the uh, the gray leaf one, which is really oh, pretty because you have that real soft gray with the red berries. It yeah. makes a really nice contrast. That's probably why all the varieties do well. There's one that grows wild in the hillsides, <laughs> and then all of it, it and all of its cousins... Mm-hmm. grow here that is true very true and then of course the hollies which i guess as we go into the christmas season we start thinking about hollies now most of the hollies here in our area need some shade yeah you know at least during the hottest part of the day or filtered light great under those other trees uh, be perfect for that but if you want the berry you got to be smart about it because it needs the male and the female to make that berry on Dog the holly. On plants got to have <laughs> both sexes to have a berry. 
So there's a berry magic, um, which has the male and female in the pot together, and it makes that red berry. And the other one is Blue Prince and Princess Duet. They're again, same concept. It's the male and the female in the pot, so you're always going to get the berries. So the the problem with hollies is not every holly is going to make a berry. Yeah. So. We used to be in the old days, we plant a whole bunch of females because we know which ones are. We put the ugly male. <laughs> Males are typically scrawny looking, thin, wimpy. We tuck them on the back side. Mm-hmm. They they'd bring down the landscape. But you needed that to have all the females right. make, uh, make berries. But now they've brilliantly grafted or potted them in the same pot. So now it's they're all great. Genius. Yeah. Very, very pretty. So you're getting those pretty red berries. The other one that I really like is the Heavenly Bamboo, the Nandina yeah. Domestica, the more bigger one, one traditional one. That one puts on the red berries that are just, wow. I mean, big Huge clusters, clusters. Yeah. of the red berries. Very, very pretty. Um, and I'll ask you, because you probably know. So I've had some people comment to me that they feel like those berries are on the Nandina are poisonous. Is that you know, true? Well, they probably are, only because deer, things that don't eat, um, so deer, mm-hmm. they're not going to eat poisonous plants. Or right. if they do, they get a sick tummy and they go, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. I don't think it's like like poison oak, poison yeah. ivy, no, no, no. you know, hemlock kind of poison, right. but it makes you, it'll turn your stomach. Yeah. So the animals don't eat Nandina mm-hmm. or heavenly bamboo. They leave them alone. They're beautiful. They look lush. Mm-hmm. But they've got a sap or, or an internal mechanism that this plant has developed over the years, millennia, that keeps animals, it makes it taste bad to animals. Right. And the berries are part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, pyracanthas are sort of like that, although birds love them. So yeah. birds don't aren't affected at all. Right. But the right. animals seem to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the, on the plant and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're obviously not going to sell anything here at the garden center. That's that's going to kill little kids oh, or, no. or dogs or that's no. that's bad marketing, bad no, PR, no, no, bad no, no, community no, no. service. But you know, it's kind of one of those things. Somebody sees it on the internet and they're like, "Oh, yeah. oh my Goes goodness, wild. rip them all I out!" Know. You know. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, the animals. I think they all teach each other. Don't eat that one. Don't yeah. eat that. You know, yeah. so it becomes a habit kind of thing. So yeah. I've never heard of anyone being poisoned never. by Nandina berries. In Ever. fact, it's one that we just planted for ourselves in our backyard. Oh, right. So just a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. just because we wanted an evergreen, we like the berries, we like the white flowers. And that particular plant, if it's in the full sun, it'll turn a bright red. Mm-hmm. If it's more in the shade, it'll grow in the shade or the sun. Mm-hmm. But if it's in more of the shade, it'll stay a pure green. Right. So it's a very interesting, very diverse shrub. Mm-hmm. And it comes in very various sizes. The domestica is your standard one your grandparents grew. Right. gets about... Oh, head high or so. But you got Gulf Stream, gets hip high. You've got Harbor Dwarf, which gets seven, eight inches tall. Mm -hmm. So it's a great, and I'm sure your list goes on, but we're out of time. time. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Ken and Lisa Lane in the Mountain Gardener's Great Plant List. Lisa, thank you. Look for more tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts through Ken's website. Podcast the show, read his weekly garden column, or follow him on Facebook and Instagram at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Waters Garden Companion Plants for November are Camellia, Vanderwolf Pine, Flowering Pear, and English Ivy. English Ivy stays waxed green through winter, forming a lush ground cover under large trees. 
quickly climbs walls, pillars, arbors, and fences without support. Use English ivy to cascade over hanging baskets or tall planters with a perfectly shaped Alberta spruce in the middle. Shop exciting evergreen vines in-store or online at watersgardencenter.com. Welcome to the Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane. Gardening in the mountains is different. Listen to Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts guaranteed to make your gardens more beautiful than ever this year. Now for better advice that works locally, welcome your host, Ken Lane. There are two basic types of vegetables and herbs. There's heat-loving or summer or tropical herbs and vegetables. These would be plants like your tomatoes, peppers, herbs like basil, cilantro. They like the heat. They do not like the cold. They don't live in the growth. They don't grow in the cold. Those you want to bring indoors and grow indoors if you're going to keep them going. Or you harvest them all and then use them, process them, so you've got those herbs to use through the winter. There's a whole series of plants that actually are easier to grow than those summer plants ever dreamed of. In the winter, these are winter vegetables, winter herbs. In the winter, there's less bugs, there's less problems. It's it's cooler, watering pressures are off. The winter vegetables are easier to grow than the summer vegetables. These would be things like your leafy, leafy vegetables. If you're harvesting the flower or the foliage, that's probably a winter vegetable. That would be things like the flower would be broccoli. You're harvesting uh, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. The foliage stuff, it'd be like spinach and arugula and lettuce. These are all you're harvesting the foliage parts of, of the plant. These love the cold. They like snow. They like frost. In fact, the flavor gets deeper and richer and more textured. They just, they're, they're softer when it's cold out. They're like bright days, cool nights. As we get into summer, you know, a lot of folks will plant their lettuce in May. Well, shoot, June, it's like 95 degrees, 10% humidity, and it's hot. And they start to bolt. They start to go into flower, and the flavor goes off on you. They just, they don't, your your broccoli will just start to sprout flowers. They just go into flower. Then the head's not quite large enough. The secret with these winter vegetables is to plant them when it's very cool. So now is a good time to plant all your leafy types of vegetables. And you'll harvest those. We often have salads right through winter. Kale, January, February, March. Uh, We'll harvest kale, spinach, uh, lettuce. So we'll have broccoli for Christmas dinner. We'll have cauliflower for Brussels sprouts for Thanksgiving. But you want to plant them now so you've got time to root them out and get them going. And then you'll harvest them all winter long. The winter herbs... Those are going to be plants like rosemary. It's evergreen. It's a fabulous plant. In fact, mine's in bloom right now in the yard. So it's it's even though that last cold went down to 24 degrees, rosemary, they love that. Shoot, go down to zero degrees. They'll like that too. And so they, they're one of those that it just looks really good right till the end of the year. And then they start to bloom. My rosemary will start to bloom again in March sometime. The bees are just starting to come out, starting to get warm. They're foraging. They're very hungry because they've been hibernating all winter. They'll come out and they, they love that blue flower on the rosemary. But they're also good varieties to use in the kitchen, to barbecue with. 
So there's two main kinds of rosemary. There's upright rosemary or bush rosemary. It's most, most famous because it's bigger, it's more robust. But there's also a ground cover variety. And in the mountains, the ground covers, or uh, it's called Huntington, Huntington Carpet or ARP, ARP, A-R-P, ARP. Uh, uh, rosemary. These are the two hardiest varieties of ground cover or creeping rosemary. Well, in the mountains, we've got a lot of raised beds. We have a lot of boulders and rock gardens where, where a rosemary that stays real low, you know, kind of ankle high, but spreads out, looks really good. They both have good flavor. They both have, you can both use them in the kitchen uh, or barbecues. I generally like the bigger bushes. I find that the the, the, the leaves, although they're insignificant, are, are plumper. They have more oils in them. And I like those big, long branches where I can strip off that foliage and I use them as a skewer for like pork or chicken. I just, instead of getting a, a bamboo skewer or a metal one, take your rosemary, pluck off that foliage, leave a little tuft on the end, skewer that, that meat on there, put it on the grill, and it, that flavor just permeates from the inside out. It's just my mouth's watering just thinking about it. It's so easy. We love to rotisserize our ham or turkey on the grill. Obviously, I like to grill. We've got a big grill. We like family to come over and friends are always welcome. Like we're, we're grilling. I will power up that barbecue um, and put the rotisserie on. I'll put the, put the, just start rotisserizing it. But underneath that, I'll put a pan of water and fresh herbs. And it just fills the entire backyard up with this wonderful herbally kind of fragrance. And it just permeates. It just puts, puts a, a different flavor on whatever you're grilling that's just, just wonderful on top of fish. We were, we were grilling some, some trout this week. Uh, the weather's been so nice. You had to be outdoors. And I know it's coming to an end. Eventually, it's going to be some cold weather where, I mean, we still had the heaters on, had the flame going, had, had things going. We were eating outdoors after dark. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was magical. It was Arizona. That's what we're famous for. And so herbs are so great. Now, some of your winter herbs are going to be rosemary, lavender. Lavender is an evergreen herb. I don't really cook with it so much. But I just love the look, love the flowers, love the fragrance, potpourris. You can make teas, all kinds of things with it. It's just a pretty plant. But lavender does really well here if you don't kill it by overwatering it. It does not like heavy soils and thick, heavy. It, it, its roots don't like to be soggy wet. It likes to drain and breathe. But if you give it the right environment, they are magical. It's amazing. Uh, oregano. That is also the same way. Oregano is so easy to grow. And it's a pretty plant. Stays low, kind of ground covery looking. Um, it's a great one. At the front edge, I love golden oregano. At the front, at the edge of walkways or, or spilling over containers. It's beautiful. But then your traditional oregano, the regular blue leafed one, they both can be used in the kitchen uh, for sautés or whatever. Uh, they both taste great, but one's gold, one's green. The other one is thyme, creeping thyme. There's lots of varieties of thyme. All of them do well in the mountains of Arizona, and they're pretty much evergreen. I just planted a bunch of chives and onions. Maybe you could, maybe you call that a root crop or a vegetable. I kind of classify it as an herb because you know chives. You're using those kinds for flavor and spice. Something that's not salt and pepper, but unique and makes your tongue go, wow. 
that's good. So I plant those. They love, 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 love the cool weather. They do better by planting now than to wait. Your success will go up if you're planting when it's cool. So I'm planting both, all these that I'm mentioning, I'll plant in the month of March or I'll plant October, November. This is my season for those. And so because of the flavor, uh, if you're trying to, if they go to flower, they just, they just don't taste the same. They're not as good. And so, and they're pretty. You put some red spotted lettuce out there. It's a beautiful plant. Arugula is almost a weed and super, super healthy. We drink a lot of smoothies. So arugula and kales go into the smoothies because they're so rich in antioxidants, anti-cancer kind of causing elements that make your make you just healthy, your body immune system robust. So freshness is everything. Did you know that fresh foliage, these plants I'm talking about, the winter vegetables, within one week of, of picking, 75% of the nutrients within that vegetable that you picked is gone. You just lose it. The average time it takes to get produce, let's say from Yuma, that's where they grow a lot of this leafy stuff, up to your local fries or Safeway or Costco is about seven days. So you are so much healthier growing your own in the backyard. It doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be a full-on garden. I plant them in with my flowers, pansies and kale. They're pretty together. Uh, I just pot them up in containers and they're so easy. And they're right there by the front door where I can see them. They're blooming. I can harvest stuff. I've got an entire herb garden on the east side of our stairs going from the top driveway down to the back backyard, classic two-story house on a mountainside. And when I need something, I just go out there and go doo, 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 scissors and about five minutes, I got got as much as I can actually use more. Then I come back and use them in the kitchen as I need. And so you can do this. It's just working with the seasons, not against the seasons. So many times we're, we're working against the cycles of nature. And we find that when we blame it on us, we're going, my thumbs aren't that good. It's, it's all timing. Get the timing right. Your success goes off the charts. Got more for you right after this. The Mountain Gardener, your source for garden advice right for the higher elevation of Arizona with local garden expert and the Mountain Gardener himself, Ken Lane. Listen in every week for Ken's tips, tricks, and techniques that are guaranteed to make a difference in your yard this season. Water's companion plants for November are English Ivy, Camellia, Vanderwolf Pine, and Flowering Pear. Flowering Pear starts spring with dazzling white flowers, shady green leaves in the summer, and brilliant reds in autumn. Even the winter bark is attractive. This exquisite tree is ideal for lawns, lining driveways, or specimens in small spaces. Shop the most trees in town by store or online at watersgardencenter.com. We believe searching Waters plants are better than a Google search at Waters Garden Center. You're listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert Ken Lane. Mountain gardening is very rewarding with a few of Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts sure to turn your thumbs even greener. Now welcome back to The Mountain Gardener. So some news is just so good that you have to share it with friends. And you all, like, if you're tuned in, you're a friend. I mean, we're just basically neighbors talking over the backyard. 
here's some garden advice, a few tips that's working in my yard. I think it'll help you and yours. So, and, and then if you need a plant, I, I've got a garden center. You can come down, I'll help you or, or whatever. I just want you to be better at gardening. But sometimes you just want to share news that's just dear, makes your heart go pitter patter. And uh, this week we got word that our son James, and James grew up here, it's James Lane. Um, he went into the army out of high school. So he's Went in at 18. He's now been in for 11. He's now over 30. So he's been in for a while. He's a lifer. Hey, he just made captain. So this is very exciting. Now, he went in out of high school as an enlisted, as low as you can go. Did tours in Iraq. He's done tours in Korea. He's done a lot with the Army. Uh, But he he really likes the medic side of things. He went in as a medic. And then, then he jumped over to the officer track and went into their physician's assistant and so he, he, he went into that, and you come out of that as a um, uh, first lieutenant, and now we just made captain. So this is like, we are so proud. In fact, he's in San Antonio. Those of you that are, you know, in the Army, you know, hoorah, uh, he, or is, you know what this officer training thing is. So they, you, do, you don't just get a, you're now a captain. Your captain, we're going to train you for the next two months, and here's what to do and how to do it, and here's the best way and how to leadership and get men to follow you. And go. it's all that idiosyncrasy. It's way more complicated than just a rank. You got to be smarter than that. And so he's in that phase. So his poor wife, oh, Teresa, is on her own in El Paso. They're at Fort Bliss. That's where they're based out of teaching kids, holding down the fort. <laughs> you folks in the military, I don't know how you do it. So there's a lot of time where you got it's got to be a tag team effort. And so she's got a lot of friends around her, that kind of stuff. Lots of family. We're rallying around her. But boy, she's doing it on her own. She's a strong woman. Oh, my gosh. The spouse of anyone in the military, you all need deep, deep respect because you do a lot. You all are amazing. Yes, our folks, our veterans, our, our armed forces folks, they deserve respect. But I don't think the spouses of those folks get enough. And I think they almost deserve more respect. And you've got it from me. I didn't mean to go down that far, but uh, our son made captain. There you go. Yay. We're so proud of him. (laughs) Okay. So some garden news. Uh, The month of November has some key plants that look really good together. We call them plants of the month. We put together, we curate five or six plants that just look fabulous, and they look good in that month. This month, we put together flowering pear or ornamental pear. It's, it's green yet. It'll be the last tree to turn red in the fall of the year. So usually between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the flowering pears, not, not fruiting, it just flowers, no fruit. English ivy is the vine that we put together. It's an evergreen vine that just looks good any time of the year. Ice angel camellia. You folks in California will love this. Uh, camellias, there's a variety that will grow here. It's cold hardy. goes down to zero degrees. This is a shrub, but it has that classic you know, six-inch flower. It's an evergreen kind of shade lover. Vanderwolf pine was the pine tree that we put together. This is a really pretty. It's related to ponderosa pines, but it's got a two-tone needle. It's got a fluffy blue on one side, white on the other, just soft as can be. Makes a great Christmas tree. Just great evergreen out in the yard. And those are the five trees that this, that we put together for the month of November. Flowering pears, English ivy, ice angel camellia, and Vanderwolf pines. 
And that's the end of this show. Throughout the week, Lisa and I camp out here at Waters Garden Center, and we love talking to fans of the show. The Mountain Gardener, your source for garden advice right for the higher elevation of Arizona with local garden expert and the Mountain Gardener himself, Ken Lane. Listen in every week for Ken's tips, tricks, and techniques that are guaranteed to make a difference in your yard this season.